It's um, yeah, it's been it's been great. It's been a great week with all the teams, and and we've had some ex Birmingham teams joining us, which has been awesome, and it's uh, it's just been really encouraging. Um, all the teams got together Friday night before Team Diva, and they're all practicing singing, and they just they've been really giving it their all, uh, which has been amazing. And and uh, as Cameron sort of ran through some of the uh, different events we've had, we've uh, had this week lots of different things. Um, I've got some photos here. Let's see, we had a devotional in the park. Um, then we had this scavenger hunt and it was kind of going throughout the city trying to find different things but then it was also evangelistic as well and so we had lots of different teams um, looking epic uh, some reaching out going on there um, what else do we have here and then we had a, a devotional at University of Birmingham and we had lunch together and then the teams went out disciples on disciples and started sharing their faith with us with students, with professors, with all sorts. And it's amazing to think that they didn't let age or education stand in the way. And it was inspiring even as they came back and they were like, wow, that was really cool. And we got rejected, but that was great. And then and we spoke to one person and they were interested. And it's great to see them getting excited about their faith. Um, and then we just had board games, afternoon. Um, and then we had a Team Devo Friday. We also had a Team Leaders meeting on Thursday but invited all the team disciples. And they came and, and they were just so engaged. Oh, we want to do this, we want to do that. And it's just great seeing them invest in uh, the team ministry, which is really encouraging. Um, and then we had a great barbecue at the Hanson's Place on Saturday, Tell us. which was awesome. We played sport and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and so it's, it's been a, a great week. Um, and now we get to finish it off with this team and service. But also, this afternoon we have... Just like, to top it off even more, Tell us. we have Ore getting baptised at one day. <laughs> so that will be just down the road at the Vassell's place at 1.30pm, so please, everyone come if you're able to. That will be a really uh, inspiring time. So really excited for Ore. So as a, as a team ministry, we for the last two terms we've been looking at this theme called compelled. What compels us? Kind of what Amy and Miles are talking about. The things that push teams, um, motivate teams. And, and we were talking about all different things, about things we should be compelled to do. But what should actually compel us? And we looked at a whole bunch of different things. And, and so today we'll be talking about Sort of the final, we're finishing off with this idea of being compelled by grace. Being compelled by grace. And that's simply the title of our sermon, Compelled by Grace. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through to 14. Um, And it was great having Amy and Miles come and do the communion because they're our graduates this year. And they're not just graduating, they're going to be leaving Birmingham. How could you do that to us? <laughs> no, we're, we're really excited for them to go to London, be a part of the student ministry there. Um, and this may be Miles' last Sunday service with us. Wow. That's even more sad. So go wish him well and farewell and, and try and, I don't know, encourage him in some way. <laughs> Order a cake from him, I don't know. Something, he needs some money for university and stuff. But, um, but yeah, so that's, but it's exciting to get to hear them share communion. So amen. Uh, in Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, 
and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Great scripture. Um, and, and so this is written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, who was uh, one of his uh, co-workers. They worked together. Uh, Paul trained Titus. Um, and this was really to help Titus, who was a young church leader, how to be able to lead the church, um, how to deal with some church order practices, um, how to help the church grow in faith and in number, um, and which can sound exciting, but it can also sort of sound a bit, okay, just leading a church. But from what we've just read, you can see it's so much more than just that. There's just some, some verses in here that, that are so pivotal to our faith. And, and so we see here Titus, and, and I've got a little map here. Um, I haven't done this with you guys before, I don't think, but a little map, and this is Paul's third missionary journey. So he started down here in Antioch, and he sort of heads up here, and he had lots of different people on his journey, uh, and Titus was with him at, at some different points as well. Um, and so on uh, Paul's third missionary journey, Paul sends Titus to Corinth with actually some of the Corinthian letters, so he's a part of that. Then he comes back, and, and Titus gets sent to Crete, which is there, which is where he is right now, as this letter's being written. Well, as he received this letter, I should say. And Paul then actually heads back off, and he's back in, up, back in Macedonia, where he writes this letter and sends it to Titus. Just a little bit of a visual. Some people like that. I don't know. That helps me. Thank you. Um, but, uh, but Paul kept travelling, and he writes this letter to Titus. Um, and again, although it was a personal letter, it's about the church. How the church should be. And so it's related to us as well. And we can learn so much from this. Um, just a, a little bit of context in Titus, at the start of Titus chapter 2, Paul is talking about, Titus, about what Titus must do in regards to dealing with all different sorts of people in the church. Um, how he should teach them and teaching older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, endurance. Teaching the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to slander, uh, but to teach what is good. And for them to teach the younger women to love their husbands, which we all know can be challenging at times. So that was a big thing for them to teach. Uh, and even teaching young men to, to be encouraged to be self-controlled in everything. Set an example. Show integrity. So that no one can say anything bad about God's word. And we read all this and you kind of think, there's a lot of stuff in there. And, and then he gets to this part here. And he kind of says, look, Titus, don't... Don't don't freak out too much. Really, there's there's probably just one big thing you need to focus on, and that is the grace of God. That will handle the rest. And so that's our first point: the grace of God, or God's grace. And and obviously we, we sort of know we have ideas about what that is, and something that helps me sort of understand it, or even maybe the way we can sometimes view grace is kind of like a, a roof. Kind of like a roof. And I'll, and I'll show you, tell you what I mean by that. So a roof. So obviously all houses have it. All, all proper houses have it. <laughs> but 
People don't really pay attention to your roof. No one ever walks in your house saying, you have an amazing roof. <laughs> oh my goodness, wow. Who did it? What type of tiles are they? What type of... No. And uh, Lawrence was actually building a bit of a roof for Keith yesterday. And, and we noticed it because he was doing it, but otherwise we wouldn't have noticed it. It's, it's, it's rarely ever noticed. But this has nothing to do with the lack of hard work that was put in. In fact, no, people slave in the heat to get it done. Suffering sunburn, dehydration to build this roof. It is such a vital part of the house. And you would all notice if it wasn't there. You would really notice it in England as well. Um, Yet people are more likely to notice a four-pound lamp from Argos in your living room than your roof. It's just the way we are. It's out of sight. We're used to it. And, but yeah, we can't make that same mistake with grace. Because I think we sometimes can. We get, we get so easily excited about other things in our Christian life. And we can so easily forget about God's grace. As God covered his house, he spared no expense. In fact, it was the most costly part of God's house. It was Jesus on the cross. It was Jesus on the cross. It was his son's life. And he did that because we are all in debt. We are in God's debt when we disobey his commands. He tells us to go south and we say, no, I don't think so, I'm going north. Rather than love our neighbours, we hurt them or talk about them or whatever. Something not encouraging. Rather than seek his will, we decide, I think I might just spend this period of time just focusing on myself. Where we're told to love our enemies, instead we slander them. We're in God's death when we disregard Him. He does some great work in our life and we get proud and we think, look at what I've done. Look how great I am. I really know it. People should really come to me, ask all my opinions. I've got things to say. And we forget who really has done the work. We're so indebted to God. And it really, and every time we do this, every time we, we sin or mess up, we're, we're kind of signing a, a spiritual check or, or swiping that, that spiritual credit card and we're getting more and more in debt. More and more overdrawn. Our holiness account, it shows insufficient funds. So what can we do? Well, you think, I'll try and make a few deposits. Surely I can get back on top of this thing. We wave to our neighbour, we help them mow their lawn, we uh, reach out to our friend, we say, okay, I'm going to read the Bible every morning, and we, we think, okay, I'm going to do these things, and, and surely then I'll be right. I'll be, I'll be back. But when have you made enough deposits? When can we really relax? And that's really the problem with that mindset, is that you never can. God is our only hope. And how did God deal with his debt? Did he overlook it, just ignore it? I guess he could have. He could have ignored the bounced checks, but would a holy God do that? Would God, who has integrity and honesty, just ignore it? Ignore our sin? If he did that, he'd be endorsing our rebellion. But So did he punish you for your sin? 
Obviously there are consequences for sin on this earth, but, but has, he, has he decided to punish you right now? Again, he could have. He could have crossed your name out straight away. Sorry, done. But he, but he didn't. He didn't do that. Would a, would a loving God do that? No, he, he gives us every chance to get back with him. Even when we are so in debt, there's no way of getting out. He took, he took our debt and, and we get his fortune in heaven. He, he not only balanced our accounts, he, he paid the penalties that we had. He took our place and paid the price for sin. No more sacrifices need to be made, no more deposits are necessary. So complete was God's payment that Jesus actually used a banking term in uh, John chapter 19, verse 30, where he says, It is finished. This Greek word here basically just means the final installment. It was a banking term. And he obviously did it in one, the first and final in one hit. He cleaned that debt free. What an amazing God we have. What an amazing God we have. And now, if, if the task is finished... Is anything else required of us? No, no, not really actually. Like, what, what more could we actually add to that? We just go messing it up again, back, getting back in debt. Again, the thoughts of, of bounce checks, bad credit, the debt we owe God, the need for His grace. This isn't new. This is, we, we know this idea. But is it precious to you? Do you really... Hold it dear. Do you really hold it close to you? Do we do we focus on it? Do you dwell on it? Does it compel us? Guys, we need to look towards God's roof. Its beams are from Calvary, its nails once held Jesus to that cross. It is what has wiped our sins clean. His sacrifice was for the world, but it was for us. It was for you. And the trouble is, is again, we can think grace won't compel us enough sometimes, can't we? We all sort of... Uh, it, it's a, it, maybe initially, but now I need to find some other things. And we turn to, to other things for motivation. Which brings us to our second point, which is the wrong motivation. The wrong motivation. And there are so many different uh, things that compel us and motivate us. Some good, some bad, some sort of neutral... Uh, and I think for the teens, as Amy and Miles are sharing, it can be peer pressure. And to be honest, as working in an office for four years, peer pressure also is there as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter how old you get, you care what people think. Yeah. And it motivates us to act differently, to maybe cross some lines of integrity that we wouldn't otherwise, to laugh at crude jokes, or maybe just want to sort of not miss out. To gossip, slander. Well, actually, you don't understand how bad my boss really is. I think God would want me to gossip in this. No. no. To lie, to cheat, and, and we can become motivated to sin. But it's not just the motivation to do wrong. We can be motivated to do good things for the wrong reason. Like sharing our faith. We can get motivated by guilt. Guilt that 
God might not love me if I don't do this. Guilt that others around, what will others think if I'm not doing this? And we lose the actual meaning and motivation for sharing your faith, the thing you hold so dear. We get insecure, we care more about what others around us think, and so that drives us. And we actually lose compassion for people. Because we're just focused on self. I know that's something, and we just want to tick that box. Okay, I've, yeah, I've done it. Maybe in regards to reading the Bible or praying, we can let insecurity and fear for what people think drive us to read the Bible. Maybe it's trying to flee from sin, and we get driven by fear of maybe having to confess some sin. Oh, I just don't want to have to get open about this. What will other people think? Fear that God will no longer love us for messing up. And so we try really hard not to sin because we're worried about getting in trouble. And we end up becoming more focused on keeping this set of rules than we do on our relationship with God. And you may think, well, that's better than nothing. And, and yeah, it, it, it is better than nothing, but if it stays there and that's it, we will not last as disciples of Jesus. We will not last. When no external pressure is pushing you to evangelize, you will quickly stop. There will be no true change in our lives in regards to sin. We can go to church, read our Bibles, help the poor, because we wrongly assume that will make us spiritual. When we need to remember that that moment we came out of the water, God made us spiritual. We're not working a bit, we are spiritual. We are righteous in His eyes. And we can get rid of those burdens that so often weigh us down. Again, why do we do the things we do? And God, God sees that we have it all backwards. That we aren't going to make it to the end of the race if we keep going. And so he's crying out, Change your, fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. And, and in Titus 2, we, we know that that's what truly compels us to the end. God's grace. Which brings us to our third and final point, which is compelled by grace. Compelled by grace. And um, when a photo here, this is my wife Tia and I. When I first met Tia, tell us. I was drawn to her. I wanted to get to know her. And at first it was just a friendship. I was like, oh, she's really cool. She's from this place called Fiji. Where is that? I knew where Fiji was. <laughs> but, uh, but she she came over to Australia to do university and we were in the same uh, student ministry in Australia. And um, But I wanted to get to know her and after coming to know her, I came to love her. And she came to love me, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, close, but no, no. And, but then I wanted a permanent relationship with Tia. Yeah. But to have that level of intimacy, trust... I knew it required commitment. I knew, no, no, I need to make a commitment that is not just for a week or as the world sees it, for a night, but it's for life. And I committed to her and on a level greater than any other human relationship that I've committed to. And and did, did, did this enable me to have a... That's messed up there. <laughs> That's where you just don't read it when you. Um, but look, 
And I, I think that this idea of commitment, we can bring that into our Christian life sometimes. The idea of commitment and but our, sort of our commitment to God, if that makes sense. And commitment with Tia, I, I didn't fall in love with the idea of commitment. That commitment as an idea, no, I that didn't... It's nice being flexible, just being able to do whatever you want. So commitment didn't excite me. A relationship with Tia excited me. And I realised commitment was what was going to be able to make that relationship what I really wanted it to be. And it's the same way with being disciples. It's not, sometimes, okay, get committed, come on, let's do this, let's do this. It's, it's not, let's fall in love with the idea of commitment. So let's, fall in, let's fall in love with God. And realise that the only way we are really going to be able to experience that true relationship with Him is when we commit to Him. But there's God's grace to cover it up when we mess up. But that, that's this idea of being compelled by God's grace. Commitment, it gives us the capacity to be in a relationship, to be near someone who loves us. And our lack of commitment will not change God's love for us. It won't. Though we think it will. It will not change God's love for us. It will just simply stop us from having the relationship we so eagerly desire. That's why we commit. We serve God because He has given us so much first. We serve God not to earn love, but because He already has loved us. We do this because we long for that relationship. That relationship that when everything else is falling apart, you know you can go to Him. And if you've got that, it is the best thing ever. And you know that. The grace of God compels us. It compels us to say no to ungodliness. And it really compels us through tough times. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 9, it says, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul here, he has this thorn in the flesh. What it is exactly, we don't know. But it was bad. And he pleaded for God to take it away. And God says, my grace is enough. And that's the same for us. With whatever tricky things you're going through. Where Satan is getting in your head. And he highlights all your failures, weaknesses, and tells you, you may as well give up. You are hopeless. We need to remember, no, God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough. We need to go and be compelled by God's grace. Don't give up. Our biggest need is not getting rid of thorns or trials in our lives, but it's getting God's grace. Focusing on that and letting that compel us to live the life we need to live. Again, it's not easy to consistently feel up to challenges in our lives. They seem to come and just bombard us, don't they? We can feel victorious and strong one day and then just utterly weak the next. But we need to remember, no, God's grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect when I am weak. I don't need to put on a a strong front. I can be real and honest. Let's cling to God's grace and let that motivate and compel us. The grace of God is what teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live a different life. The other elements we need to learn, need to grow, that they'll grow out of grace. Grace is not simply just another 
Sometimes it's, it's talked about like branches of a tree. It's not just like another branch of a tree. I was reading in a book. It's, it's kind of like the idea of it is the, like the actual stuff, the, the actual whole middle part of the tree. I've lost what that is called. Trunk. The trunk, that's it. <laughs> the trunk of the tree. Which all these other things come off. All those other things come off that. It starts with that. It is the heart and soul of our message. Sharing our faith, one another relationships, Bible study, prayer, purity, they all grow out of our relationship with God, which is foundationed on grace. So don't get sidetracked by feelings of insecurity, inadequacy. God's grace can help us get past that. We can be confident in Him. And another reason we can be confident in Him is, is this verse, Hebrews 4, verse 12 to 16. And you would have all probably, you've all read all of this, but we saw it quite often just stop 12 to, I think it's 13, um, or 14. And, and But in context, it kind of helps us paint a bit of a picture here. It says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amazing scripture. That when we realise how much we need God, we can approach Him with confidence. And it's amazing because it's in context of this idea of, of the Word of God being the Bible, how it lays there everything that's in us before God. Every bad thought, every bad thing we've done, all that stuff we don't want anyone to know about, it's laid bare before God. And even inside of that, God still wants us to approach Him with confidence. How amazing is our God? How amazing is His grace? We don't have to find confidence from ourselves, we can get it from God. Again, we want step-by-step guides on how to say no to ungodliness. I know I do as, a, as an engineer. I want like a step-by-step guide. You tell me exactly how to do it and I'll just follow that. God says it doesn't work like that. You need to be faithful and trust me and follow my words and that's how you will have that confidence. That ability to say no to ungodliness. Again, in conclusion, there are so many things in life trying to fight for our attention. So many things pulling and pushing us to do good, to do bad, but only one thing will motivate us and compel us to the end, and that is God's grace. Let's cling to it, let's dwell on it, let's focus on it, and if each of us can be focused and compelled by God's grace, this church will grow in ways we can't even imagine. And we're already seeing this year as we're coming together, as we're, we're, we're building relationships close together, how God is working. And He will continue to do that, but even greater things. Things we can't even imagine. Things we can't accomplish on our own. So church, let's be compelled by God's grace. Amen.